Welcome to the National Academies of Medicine, Scholars and Diagnostic Excellent Expert. This is an introduction podcast, and today we're going to be talking about equity. My name is Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. I am an obesity medicine physician scientist at Massachusetts General Hospital and an associate professor of medicine and pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. And let me tell you guys, I am excited to introduce today's guests. Dr. Irma Mala Sarkar, and Dr. Sarkar is a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, in the Division of General Internal Medicine. And she's the Associate Director of the UCSF Center for Vulnerable Populations. Her work centers on innovating for health equity and improving the safety and quality of outpatient care for everyone, but especially low-income and diverse populations. Dr. Sarkar, thank you so much for joining. I'm excited to talk to you today about equity and diagnosis. But, you know, as we're getting started, I, I want to jump right in. You know, I, I want to ask you about your career path and what brought you to looking at equity, looking at diverse populations, looking at those that are of low income or lower socioeconomic status, and, and just take us through kind of where you started and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, thank you. That's actually um, a great place to start. Um, so I started with the idea of health equity uh, really very early. I always felt that I had a, a responsibility as a person coming from a place where I had the ability to get an education and to have a lot of advantages in my life to make sure that that work was in service of others. And that came about because I'm the child of immigrants and my parents came here to study with a lot of family that they cared for and still care for who did not have the opportunities that I had here in this country. And my childhood uh, in the U.S. was punctuated with visits to India, where I saw a lot of need and really always believed that what I should do uh, would have some sort of positive impact rather than continuing to consume in the, in the way that one could. That's amazing. So just delving a little bit deeper. So, you know, you decided to go into medicine, you know, was that kind of a springboard from, from that work, seeing that inequity that you saw, you know, um, in those visits over to India from, from where you were born here in the U.S. as a first generation um, person here in the U.S.? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think you know, the, the beauty of a career in medicine is that it can bring together um, service and intellectual challenge. So, um, so I was always an academically inclined child. I always loved science and loved inquiry. And in medicine, you can bring that together with social justice. And it's a beautiful combination. I, that's still what inspires me. I love that. That's really, really great. So I think that's a phenomenal way for us to kind of jump into some some really deep work as we think about equity. And I want to evaluate equity in health systems. And many might say that systems and structures that have been established actually inhibit equity. What are your thoughts on this issue? Part of the reason why I say that I want to innovate for health equity is because I believe that the systems that we are working in are designed to create the outcomes that we get. These structures, processes, and even individuals in health systems do inhibit equity. I mean, I think that's why we've had these deep-seated disparities that my entire medical career, even when I was a learner, we were, we were learning about health disparities. And we, we have done a lot of work, but those 
basic fundamental structures that are inequitable haven't changed. And I think that's why we haven't seen disparities go away. These are very deep-seated race, class, gender disparities that emerge from the current system. It happens at many levels, and it will take a complete transformation for us to change this. And as we're thinking about, you know, these systems and structures that are embedded, what are some strategies do you think that we can take to, to really change the narrative, to actually undo these structures? Do you think that's possible? I think it's possible, but I think we need transformation, not incremental change, if we want to make changes, right? Many of the determinants of health are actually outside of healthcare systems, and we need to work in concert with other sectors to really create transformative ways of living in order to close health disparities. I don't think any one sector can do it on on their own. Right. So basically, we all have to come to the table and use different facets of our, our society to really go about delving to these deeper structures that build this inequity. Yes, absolutely. As someone that you know works in equity, also you know I, I always think about it from the perspective of the patient and you know the physician, you know other healthcare providers. And so I want to ask a, a really important question. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. And do you believe the system that we operate in? Do you think it's there's more of a disadvantage for clinicians, particularly those that come from underrepresented backgrounds, um, patients, or do you think that both really? fare poorly within the system as it's currently structured? Uh, That's a great question and a really important way of of thinking about this. I believe it's our moral and professional obligation to center patients. And I think that is a shared worldview that has driven the equity conversation. So we really do need to start with our patients and they deserve, all of our patients deserve the care that we would want our families to have. And in, in many cases, we would want all of our families to have the same kind of care. And we're not there yet. So that's where we have to start the work. That being said, as a clinician who is a woman of color, I can tell you from my own experience and from that of my diverse colleagues, that there is tremendous moral injury that comes about when you are trying to care for people as a physician and you're seeing disparities unfold around you. It is hard for me to overstate the burden that our clinicians of color, regardless of whether they're physicians, carry when they're seeing inequitable care unfold all around them. And unless we reckon with the structures that have produced the clinicians that we have now, I don't actually think that we can get to health equity. As much as we need to start with patients and end with patients, that's not the only thing. Uh, We really need to change the way that we train and nurture clinicians. And we need to reckon with the moral injury of disparities on them. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a really important point. Basically, you're saying that it's the onus is on us, those that care for patients, to to evaluate how we are as individuals and how that reflects on the care that our patients receive um, to really make significant change. I'll tell you a story that I'm going to sort of elide the details about a little bit, but when I remember very clearly caring for a patient when I was a resident, and this was a person from an underrepresented background with communication challenges who came to 
care from an outside institution. And it was so clear that this person's trajectory and diagnosis would have been achieved earlier had they been from a more advantaged population. That is the type of thing that kept me as a clinician up at night for days because I knew that this patient's irreparable injury could have been prevented had they been listened to. And I knew that they would have been listened to if they were not from the background that they were. And that happened 20 years ago, and I'm still thinking about it. This is a very important point. And as a woman from an underrepresented background, you know, when, when that white coat comes off and I walk in an office, I can tell you that that's exactly the type of treatment that I receive, which is unfortunate, right? So even with the privilege that we have as being physician, being in a higher socioeconomic bracket, you know, what people see when I walk in the doctor's office as a Black woman and whatever biases they carry towards someone that looks like me they begin to unfold. And then I can use some privilege of being a physician to help navigate that. But there are times when that's not something that we can do. It, it really speaks volumes to, to how, how entrenched this is within our, our society. So I really thank you for your perspective there. I think it's extremely important. You know, that takes me to another really important question, and, and I can't wait to hear your response to this particular question. In the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd during the COVID-19 pandemic, systems began to speak about a newfound or renewed commitment to equity. Do you believe this to be lip service, or do you believe change is actually occurring? I think it's both. I think it is more than lip service, but I think we have to be honest and say what George Floyd's murder did was make it more difficult to be willfully ignorant about police perpetuated violence and the ubiquity of anti-blackness in our society. I think if you did not, if those things were not present in your consciousness prior to that time, it was willful ignorance. That murder was so present that it became, made it very difficult to persist in that willful ignorance. So in that way, I think it was more than lip service. I do think that many people got past that um, willful ignorance. However, you and I were just talking about the importance of structures in inhibiting or promoting equity. And I have not seen the transformational investment needed to make fundamental change happen over the, the last two years since those, those terrible events. I haven't seen it. So I won't say it's lip service, but I won't say it's enough either. Those are powerful words that you've said. I really like the way that you, you summed it up, saying that it's kind of a bit of both and we still have a lot of work to do. We have seen, you know, some shift and I, I'm going to say this is in medicine. We've seen it in business. We've seen it in really all facets of society where we have people, you know, that have named chief of equity, chief of diversity. This really proliferated right in COVID-19 pandemic where we saw these shifts. But, you know, if you do a really careful look um, on LinkedIn and you look at individuals that hold these titles, you'll see that they play a bit of musical chairs. So maybe they, they started this organization and then and they go over to this organization. And usually that duration of when they, you know, they're um, staying at an organization is about two years in duration or so. And 
Um, you know, you see this musical chairs, you see it in medicine, you see it in business, you see it in a lot of spaces. What I sense, at least, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, is that there may be frustration. You know, they get kind of this rose-colored glasses, they go into the organization hoping to make change and then feel inhibited to do so because, you know, we're talking about the structures, the system itself, and then think by going to another organization that they will actually be able to to have some impact. I mean, what are your thoughts on on this this kind of proliferation of, of roles and positions and this musical chairs that we see both in medicine and, and business and, and things of that sort? I, I think you're asking a very, very important question again. So one of the things that I have found heartening in the last couple of years is the proliferation of, of DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion roles in healthcare broadly and, and in business as well. I think it, it's an important step to understand that this is a um, an area that is worthy not just of attention but of leadership. So I'm glad that I'm glad that those positions exist. They didn't used to. I'm privileged to play a supporting role in some of these types of initiatives at, at UCSF. What I think would add to them and make them really meaningful is to empower those DEI leaders with teams, with resources. I think it's very important to identify meaningful, actionable, and measurable outcomes and then hold the organization accountable. I'll just mention a lot of my work is on digital health. And one of the things that I, I um, do is work with private sector digital health companies that are interested in reaching diverse populations and in ensuring that their approaches are equitable. And I often tell them, if you would like to take your existing tool and really center equity, you need to invest in it as though you are launching a new product. It's not going to happen if you give me some consulting funds and I tell you, you need to re-envision what you're doing. When people are faced with the choice of, do I launch a new product or do I think about equity first, they, they make different decisions than if they think that they can pay a consultant and get a stamp of approval. Mm, this is this is good stuff. I really like this. Thank you so much. I, ooh, I couldn't have said that better myself. That takes me to our next question. And that is how might health systems go about actually sustaining their commitment to equity? What we've seen is, you know, like you, what we talked about, we've, we've had these new positions, new roles, new focus. My concern is that there'll be a bit of a burnout. Would have said, hey, we've done that that time passes and then we end up back at square one. So how, how could, you know, organizations, the system itself really sustain its commitment to equity? It's not going to be one thing, right? We need a lot of different things. One aspect is to really put equity on everybody's radar. And a lot of organizations do that by doing some sort of training or um, capacity building for everybody. Another part of that is having the leadership right? Another part of that is having the workforce, right? So we, we, I don't think we can get there unless we have a, a workforce that really represents our population. And that, does, that means that we need to retain and advance our people of color who are entering healthcare in larger numbers and not having them uh, leave academia in mid and, and later in their careers. So that's really important. Another thing I think we need to do is think about all of our missions, just taking academic medicine as an example, right? We have a clinical mission, we have an educational mission, we have a research mission. 
equity needs to be a pillar in each of those missions. So as much as we need leaders focused on equity, we also need every leader of every mission to have an equity pillar within their work and that is tied to outcomes, right? And those are all kinds of outcomes. Those are outcomes about recruitment, retention, advancement. They're outcomes about patient care. They're outcomes about job satisfaction. They're outcomes about what you're studying. If you're a research institution, you, you should have some health equity focused research. And in my opinion, you shouldn't be doing any research that doesn't include diverse populations. This is great. This is making my heart happy to hear you talk in this way. This is my final question for you. Um, and I think you kind of, you know, touched on this in your last response. And that question is, are there key lessons or tenets that organizations must embrace to ensure equity? It's tempting to say many things, but I think I am going to just leave it with one thing, which is that equity needs to be part of the strategy, of the vision, of the mission from the beginning. I don't think we can ever get to equity tacked on or on the back end. If we don't build for equity, we're not going to get to equity. I think that's my new key phrase. If we do not build for equity, we will not get to equity. You guys, if, if you heard nothing else, I think that is really a key tenet. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarkar, for talking to me about your work in diagnostic excellence and equity. It's been a true pleasure. And I just want to thank you for your time and your expertise and your commitment to this work. I'm truly honored to be here. Thank you so much, Dr. Stanford. I really appreciate it. 